Hello, everyone. Welcome to Game Junk Prototype, episode 72, recording on Thursday, August 5th, 2021. My name is Frank. My name is Sean. And my name is Andrew. And not a whole lot to talk about this week, so we're going to do some junk mail. Not even that much of that, so we'll see how this goes. Uh, you guys want to juice? Anything you got going on? Anything you need to talk about? No. Not really. I mean, I, I did play a few things. Not even that much of that, to be honest. Still playing Skyward Sword, which I'm sure we'll touch on. But uh, yeah, it could be a short one. Could be. We always say that. It never is. Let's make it our mission <laughs> to make this the shortest episode of Game Junk ever. Okay. I, I like this goal. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Should we get right into the junk mail? Sure. Of course. Let's go. Come on. All right. We we should say, too. I mean, you can always oh, send us. Ruining it already. Ruining it already. Even, it already. When, we're, <laughs> even when we're not asking for it, you can send it to us, gamejunkpodcast at gmail.com, and we'll just save it up for an episode like this. Good point, Sean. I, you were <laughs> failing the mission, but it's for a good reason. <laughs> it's for a very good reason. Hello, guys. This question may have been asked, sorry, already asked, but I don't remember if this has been discussed on the podcast. Is there an equivalent of Letterboxd for games where you can log which games you've played, beaten, give a rating, and share with others? If there is one, are you using it? If not, why aren't you? And why is it so important to log film views in Letterboxd and not the games played? Could be a good debate on the podcast. Please continue the good work. I love the weekly podcast. Michel in Belgium. Yeah, so ironically, I was kind of like, I had the same thought. I know we've talked about this before, but like about, I don't know, five days ago, maybe like earlier this week, I was thinking the same thing. And I was like, let me just take another look and see what's out there. So I got three apps that I will mention to you now. So there's apps and then there's websites. I wanted an app. On, that I could just have on my phone. But I know stuff like the backloggery has been around forever. That still exists. There's a bunch of others. There was uh, one I was using for a while that wasn't bad. Like it had like this slick presentation of Letterboxd. I can't remember what it was called though, but I just, I, I can't keep up with it. Well, that, yeah, that's interesting because that's one of the problems is most of them don't look amazing. But um, I will mention, so Game Track is one that I was using before. And it has like a backlog, a wish list, and I think it also has like just you can. The thing is, most of these are. How do you spell game? Like, because there's game tracker, so I'm assuming this is different. Uh, it's just game track, all one word. No weird spelling of app. Seems to be the website. Okay. And yeah, so most of these are more like for collectors. It's more about keeping track of your collection, which is a little different from what Letterboxd is, right? And that's part of the problem. Um, but this one I was using before. It's pretty good. It seems to have some cool stuff where you can do like a year in review. You can look back at what you've played in the past year, which is kind of actually one of the things I was looking for. And you can link all your different, um, you know, PSN, Xbox, Steam. And that, I assume, helps you keep track of achievements and, and what you've actually played. So that one seems pretty good. You know, I haven't used any of these very extensively. This is game track you're speaking of, just to be clear. Is yeah, it, game I'm, track. It looks like there's no website for it. I'm on the website and it's just an app. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's true. 
So then I found this other one called Gamey, G-A-M-E-Y-E, which is definitely more for collectors. And it, I think I like the interface a little better, but the problem I had with this one is that it almost, um, it didn't seem to have a lot of digital stuff, or at least maybe like I, I looked up, for instance, Death's Door. It wasn't on there initially. It is now. So I, it, you know, it seems more geared towards physical releases, but they do have some digital stuff on there. Could be a problem though. And then the last one was uh, an app called Cartridge, which I like the look of the best. And it's kind of very simple and streamlined. It's more just about what are you playing and what have you finished and what's your progress in each game. The problem is the free version, you can only add like, I think five or 10 games to start with. So, I mean, it's, tough to what's the website for that one um i don't know i just i found it in the app store it's just called cartridge but you know it's tricky because i was thinking about stuff like game pass like what do you do with that you have a game on game pass so i wouldn't really add that to my collection i don't really own that game but you know i want to be able to say i'm currently playing it and track my progress that's where something like cartridge seems more like what i want but some people might actually really want to know, like Frank might want the retro collection in there and be able to see how much it's worth, which some of these do. Yeah, I kind of want separate apps for that. I want one for assessing value and one for stuff I actually played. Right. And it would be nice if there was one that could do both and kind of separate those two things. But I guess it's the same way Letterboxd doesn't really have a way to, like have your collection in there right which but, is good like what if you sell all your collection like you talk about selling your collection all the time and never do it but then one day <laughs> you actually decide to sell all these and then you don't want to remove them and like i'm i'm guessing there's probably a, like a lot you could just have a library icon if you own it or something like that but if you own a collection you typically want to list like quality like is it in box stuff like that so yeah, I think they have to be separated, have... Sean. I'm sorry. They must be separated. They cannot coexist. Well, some, like, I think the Game Eye app I, I mentioned does have, like, you can say if you have the package, if you have the manual, things like that, which I don't care so much about, but that's probably more what you want. So that's, it's complicated. It's probably hard to find, to, for, it would be hard to make one app that would kind of suit everybody's needs. And certainly I haven't seen one that's as nicely done as Letterboxd yet. So I'm kind of still looking. If you have suggestions, let me know. But I'm more just looking for something to be like, okay, what am I playing right now so that I don't lose track of a billion games I'm dabbling with? So so one of the questions was, and why is it so important to log film views in Letterboxd and not games played? I agree. The, here's the beauty of achievements and trophies, though. They keep track of it for you. If your if your console has that stuff, I can go to my PlayStation app and see everything I've played on PlayStation this year, everything I've done. Uh, it's a beautiful thing. So that's why Nintendo should get on board and do that stuff. And mm-hmm. then obviously, then we need a website or app that combines all three and assesses who's the world's greatest gamer. Definitely. So I was just doing a quick search, and I found one called Groovy, G-R-O-U-V-E-E, and it 
its big thing is that it's kind of like Goodreads. I don't know if you guys like. So I use Goodreads a lot to, to track which books I've read and which books I want to read. Want to read? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it it looks like pretty similar to that. Like you could have user reviews and you can say like when you played it and you can put it into like different lists. So it says you can put it into like played, playing, wishlist, backlog, or you can create your own custom shelves, whatever you want, and you kind of slot them in wherever you want. That actually sounds great for me because obviously I own basically no physical games. I just borrow shit at a library. And then I have my digital collection on like Steam and Epic Store and Game Pass. And I just want to track what I've played and what I thought of the game at a sort of a high level. I don't really care about writing a detailed reviews. That's what I like about Goodreads. Like I read a book, I move it to my red shelf, I give it a rating out of five, and it's perfect. Now I know I've read that book and I... I can go on to something else. I could track what I've read. And this sounds kind of perfect for me. But if if you're frank and you're like nitpicking over the the like edge of your box and you want that to be reflected in your collection <laughs> data, this is probably not for you. No, but I but, like I said, this should be separated. I think that would be good. Groovy would be good for something that uh just stuff you've played, like tracking what yeah. you played and what you thought. It looks like it's powered yeah. by Giant Bomb on the website. Yeah, the API or something. That's what it says, yeah. So that's yeah, cool. So I don't know. It, it seems like it's got kind of the social element of Letterboxd, which is cool. But don't like the name, and it doesn't have an app. So that I do remember seeing this, but I think that's why mm. I just didn't really look further into it. Right. Uh, and then the other one I use, which I don't know if you guys would consider this, but I use uh, Retro Achievements to sort of tie into like emulators and stuff and then so when i'm playing like older games that i definitely like don't want to like pull out my sega genesis to play it'll track achievements just like steve achievements and then it kind of tracks the games i've played kind of automatically through that and it's all in one place and i i kind of like that i mean it sounds like you could probably get those games on this groovy thing because I saw like in the top list there's like Chrono Trigger and some other stuff that's much older like SNES. So um, that's another one I use, but I don't. I like it because it automatically just kind of tracks everything for me and kind of my progress based on the achievements I've unlocked. So does this actually work? Like, how does this oh, yeah. retro this achievements like a plug work? In, plug in for emulators or something? Yeah. So I use the Retro Arch. I think it's called. Uh, emulator, which is kind of like an all-in-one emulator. It kind of has like a bunch of emulators for all the devices. And then you can basically in its settings, you just put in your retro art or retro achieve. What's it called? Retro achievements. What yeah. I say it's called yeah. um, username and password. And then every time you launch a game, it just goes out to the website and I don't know, it matches the ROM ID or whatever, however they do it. And then, uh, it tracks it and it pulls it up and it says you've unlocked, you know, five of 20 achievements. And then you basically play through the game and unlock achievements. Frank's losing his mind right now because he didn't know this thing existed. <laughs> this is crazy. He's going to sell his entire retro yeah, lounge. Mean, like, <laughs> on the one hand, I feel like this is exactly what Frank wants. But on the other hand, it's like unofficial fan made. I don't know. Oh, yeah, I was definitely it. having some weird <laughs> internal... Uh, struggles there where like i mean if you really look at achievements they're just kind of meta things anyway it's just yeah as long really it comes down to the validity of 
who's defining the the trophies and achievements. So yeah, if and it I was think done well. I don't yeah, have an issue. I think with they it. do have different trophy sets uh, you can unlock. I I can't. I haven't. I don't like dive into it too deeply. But like when I was playing, I think a couple weeks ago, I mentioned I was playing Fantasy Star One. It was kind of fun to just have some achievements pop every once in a while. Yeah, if but the yeah. Polymega tied in retro I, I achievements. Was just thinking that that would be Uh-oh. really cool if they could do that. I don't know if they Look could, out. but that could be a game changer. <laughs> Polymega officially launches September 12th, FYI. Yeah. Jay, just a heads up on that one. I almost pre-ordered. <laughs> I went to pre-order and I'm like, okay, it's 600. I was going to get the bundle with all the different decks. That's 600 American or 650 American. I'm like that's like getting close to a grand plus probably duties and fees crossing the border. And I'm like, that's a lot for yes, something that hasn't been lot. reviewed that much and no one's really commented on how good it is and if it even works as advertised so might have to wait might be worthwhile to just hold off yeah all right can we move on definitely let's Let's go come on on. (laughs) question from dan simple you're on a desert island with only one game only for all eternity what are you playing the newest Madden. <laughs> so I think we got this question before. I know we've sort of had a similar discussion before. Sean, and the it, question is simple. <laughs> Name the game. Though. I need more parameters. Are there other people on the island with me? Can they play with me? Do I have internet access? I mean, these are yes. huge. Facts. Yes, yes, I yes. I assume no one else is with you on the island, but you do have internet access. So my first thought would be... It does say desert island, but maybe he meant deserted island. Hmm. So my first thought would be, and I'm pretty sure this is what I said last time, a huge game like Red Dead or Skyrim. Uh, Skyrim VR even better than I'm like escaping my current predicament. That's not a bad idea. (laughs) Uh, But then I also thought maybe a game that has like uh, editor capabilities or user-generated oh, content. That's bullshit. So Mario Maker or Dreams, you would never get tired of because there's always content coming in and you can make your own too. Okay, that's interesting, but kind of a cop-out. <laughs> well, fair enough. I don't have a great answer for this. The only one that keeps coming up in my head is Neo or Neo Ooh. 2. If I can buy the collection that has both for PS5, I'll bring my PS5 and the Neo collection. Hmm. There's like Just 10... Because there's so many weapons, like different play styles. Uh, it's a big game. The loot and armor systems, I think there'd be some longevity there. And there's enough action that I could test my skills with you know multiple weapons. There's a barehanded way to play too that i've never even tried like there's a lot of hours there and let's be honest like by the time i do everything in neo 2 i'm probably gonna punch my own ticket so (laughs) 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 i uh okay hola gamers i'm always on the lookout for cool music so what are some of your favorite soundtracks frank is a pretty serious gamer but does he think he has the required skill to become the Boshi by beating I want to be, be the Boshi? Do we think there's any chance of a Matrix game when Matrix 4 is out? Could be so cool with the tools we have today. Patrick. 
Okay, mm. so favorite soundtracks, probably have mentioned some of these before. I'm just going to give you, these are some of my favorites that I actually like would and have listened to outside of the game. So this is not necessarily like best music that goes great with the game. This is like, I, I just like the music. So uh, Trials of the Blood Dragon, Hyperlight Drifter, VVV, VVV, Scott Pilgrim, uh, The Messenger, Undertale, Celeste, Shovel Knight, and the Blaster Master Zero games are pretty solid too. The only one that pops into my head is the Super Metroid uh, soundtrack. Uh, but I mean, like, a lot of Final Fantasy games have great soundtracks as well, I find. Like, there's a lot of, like, orchestra-type stuff. Look, I'm into oh. bangers. I need Sonic 2, <laughs> Mega Man 2. That's it. <laughs> Those are the only ones I think I would listen, like, seek out a song from and listen to it on YouTube or something like what, that. What was the first one he said? Sonic 2? Yeah, Sonic 2. Chemical Plant Zone, the greatest song ever recorded for video games. <laughs> and... What is Boshi? What is Boshi? That no is the idea. real question. <laughs> I looked it up. It's Who a, is this Boshi character? Some kind this of is a platformer Boshi is, developed in Denmark, it looks like, or and I think Patrick's Boshi from, is above our pay grade, I think. That's Yeah. I don't know anything about Screamer. We're not cool. He's he's made a game or inspired a game that's a very hard game. But I'm not sure if the question is asking do, does Frank think he can beat the game, or does Frank think he can do better than Boshi himself at the game? Is that the question? No, I don't. Either way, it's not happening. <laughs> uh, do we think there's any chance of a Matrix game? I think we would have heard of it by now. Yeah, I mean, it would be cool, uh, but yeah, I don't, I don't see it happen. Like, you know, it's coming out in December. The, the movie so it would have to have been announced by now but I do want to go back and play through uh, Enter the Matrix gonna try maybe <laughs> no chance is that on Steam Enter the Matrix I don't I don't think there's any like official modern release of it you kind of gotta is it just what was that a PS2 yeah Game? and Xbox and GameCube and Xbox and it was on PC, um, so you can get like a version of that. But it's uh, the controls are weird; you can't use a controller with it. So, hmm. right. hey guys, as game developers, how do you all feel about the practice of speed running? I have to admit that I'm not super familiar with the pastime, but it seems like exploiting any and all bugs, glitches, and oversights is the key success in serious competition. Is it simply a case that games are so complex that every game will have bugs left in the code, or should developers be striving for water tightness? On the other hand, could speedrunning be viewed as a good thing within the industry by bringing more attention and sales to, to specific games? Thanks for the weekly shows. They're always appreciated. Colin. I have no I, affinity for speedrunning other than I think it's amazing what people find out about games. I have no desire to do it myself. Uh, I, I guess if I... Maybe I'd speedrun Neo on the desert island. Maybe that would give me some <laughs> longevity there. But uh, I, I don't... I'm not naturally drawn to it. I People send me or I see videos of speedruns or developers react to 20-minute speedrun. Oh, my God. And uh, I don't watch those. And I guess I'm impressed by like 
the minute speed runs for classic games like Mario 64 and we've talked before about you know people kind of hacking games on the fly like hijacking code like all that stuff is really incredible and I uh, respect the ability to do it but I personally have no desire to get into it watch it what about you guys go ahead Sean uh, yeah, I'm I'm kind of the same. I don't really watch it. I'm not like I don't follow what the records are or anything like that. But it is like a cool thing that exists and like you know gives games sort of a, a second life and keeps people coming back to them. I don't think as a developer people want to shut the door to this kind of stuff. It is weird that there's certain games that seem to go out of their way to invite it or. Like I don't, I don't even really know how you go about because the whole thing with speedrunning is more like finding glitches and stuff. But then you know what? Uh, what was the game? There was one at last week, I think, at the uh, Annapurna thing. Um, what was it called? The one, uh, the white something or other, yeah. white knight, or <laughs> what was that called? Anyway, like that. That's like part of the game is that you know they want to make it so that you have reasons to play levels over and over again and try to go as fast as you can. But to me, the coolest thing is the people who kind of break the game to go even faster. And, um, yeah, every game does, I'm sure have bugs in there that they ship with. It's, it's probably probability of that is very high. I think on every game. So neon white was the game. Right. Yeah, I I I think it's kind of cool that that people do devote that much time to find these bugs. Uh definitely these bugs are always going to exist. Like the concept of water tightness in a game is not not a thing and probably never will be a thing. It's just kind of the nature of code in general. There's always going to be the the systems are so complex and they all interact in weird ways and and I I don't think it's possible for code to be bug free in any way shape or form and you know you have an artist that makes a tiny mistake and it could lead to one of these like clip out of bounds things um and it's just so hard to find all of them especially in larger games um, blaming all the mistakes on the artists no i'm just saying like obviously the collision code <laughs> the collision code is is problems right yeah. uh so um yeah, I think it's kind of cool that like awesome day- games done quick and everything is around. I watch some of them occasionally, usually for like older games. I don't really watch them all the way through, but I do kind of find them interesting, especially when they it's like the Legend of what's it, um, Ocarina of Time, where they're like glitching through walls and like magically appearing in random places, and you're just like, how did you even? find this stuff like the amount of time just like bumping into random walls must have been now insane. there must be something to be said as well about how a lot of people who are doing it are probably looking at other people who have found those glitches and building upon them so it's kind of like mm-hmm. are you really doing it yourself to begin with like you're you're kind of it's not your singular achievement that you did this speed run. You're just yeah. You're building on the backs of others. Yeah. Same right. like everything though. I mean, you're you're not building a game from scratch every time. Yeah, for sure. You're using code from other people, and there could be errors in it and all kinds of stuff. So I mean, in a way, it's more. It's like the community versus the game, right? People are working together yeah. and building on each other to just see how much better they can do. But there is like you know, there's this guy on this Minecraft 
YouTuber guy that I know, like Kieran watches all the time. There's this big controversy about him recently. I don't know if you heard of Dream, but he like broke some record, speedrun record for Minecraft. And then later on, it was revealed that he had a bunch of mods running that like changed the probability of things that made it like so that he could get through the game a lot faster. And he claimed, oh, I, I didn't know those were running when I was playing the game. But it's like, you know, stuff like that where it's like, okay, like where do you draw the line? Like what's cheating in speedrunning? It's kind of a weird topic. <laughs> but I think it would just be was... the base game, like the base game. And I'm sure there's sub speed running with mods, but it's like you play the game as it was developed. If you can find an exploit that's in the game, maybe aside from cheat codes, maybe, but who knows? Yeah. Another soundtrack I've actually listened to aside from the game, I forgot was Sayonara Wild Hearts. I have listened to songs off that on their own. So yeah, that's a good one. All right. Speed running. No go. <laughs> Hey all, while checking out DekuDeals.com, I happened upon a game called, sorry, entitled Wingspan, a game I had never heard of before, nestled among other games I had never heard of before, now discounted to some new all-time low, and it made me wonder once again, how can there be so many games nowadays, and what do they need to do in order to be profitable? How many sales does an indie need to break even? Can indie games make enough by strategically lowering their price to game discount sites? Do you need people to learn about your game through paid ads, articles, or videos, and on and on? Not sure if Frank is willing or able to discuss specifics about his experience with Embers of Miram, but it would be fascinating to hear y'all's thoughts on how we seem to have so many indies and if people and if people paying enough to substantially keep them coming. Thanks, Colin. Uh, apparently Wingspan is an adaptation of a board game, a product of which I was also unaware. Just a side That's note with so Wingspan. I saw it on Steam. It's like this bird card game. And I thought it was like a bird watching photo- photography game. And I bought it. And I played it. I'm like, this is not what I thought this was at all. It's like a card game. And one of my only Steam refunds in history. Did get a refund. Frank's looking for bird watcher simulator. Well, I like f- photography games like that where you... I always like the games where you have to hunt or photograph wildlife. And it's kind of like a exploration thing. And I would like to do that, a bird that, watching game. Alma, are you going to bring it? Yeah, that's that's the one that's on Apple Arcade, right? Yeah, it's also on PlayStation now. So I uh, I haven't played it. I have it downloaded. Alba, sorry. Right. Uh, yeah, I think this was like an older question from Colin that he sent a while back. Just throwing it in here. Based on but, the y'all, I think the last two questions are from the same Colin. I didn't. I think so, yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't know, Frank and Huck, you guys probably have more to say about this than I do. Like, I, I also have the same questions. <laughs> like, I really don't know, you know, between Game Pass as an option now and, like, subscription services. Like, I don't know how much people are getting paid for stuff like that, but it's got to be... Well, first of all, it's impossible to, just to get noticed. But even once you've been noticed, like, how are you, what's your price point and, and what do you do with sales? Because that's so many people are just waiting for sales now. Yeah, there's two major schools of thought. I, I think like one is try to make an amazing game, probably 
getting attention through your art style, I think is the number one way to get attention. And I'd say that's the case for all of the games we're excited about that we've seen in like the Annapurna showcase and stuff like that. And then also just throw marketing money at stuff. And neither one is guaranteed for success either. It's extremely hard to do. Uh, and gamers will wait for stuff to go on sale. I think I've been saying for a while, people need to stop putting their games on sale and that'll definitely help. But the one side thought I had with all of this is, kind of feels like there's almost a separation of indie where like big bigger or like really good indie studios get all the attention and i wonder if there's like a subculture of like super indie stuff that's going to build it's almost like indie is becoming the new double a like replacing what double a was and now there's an even lower kind of indie indie scene and i don't know if there's a name for that yet but it must exist like there must be communities that talk about this stuff well, that's like, I would think stuff like itch.io is where all that exists, right? Like just like really people putting up games for free, putting up games for a lower price. And I know like some of those developers are on like PlayStation and Xbox, but they're not getting noticed at all. And I remember at some point they, I think some of them teamed up to do some sort of like bundle or sale or something just so they could at least get some kind of press for it. But yeah there's like you think there's a lot of indie games but like we're only talking about like the indie games that have publishers that are getting promoted like there's so many others that we're yeah just look at the steam store we're talking like double a indie and think of like uh kaze that game got no attention it's one of the best games i've played all year yeah i've been hyping that on twitter as much as i can yeah and they like every tweet I send and it gets like no attention from anybody. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I mean, I was just looking at steam spy. So in 2018, 8,000 games, 2019, 8,000 games, 2020, almost 10,000 games in 365 days. Uh, and in 2021 so far, 3,500 games. So it's insane. Like, you cannot get noticed. You cannot make money. Like, these people that posted... So, why? first is first question. Why are there so many games? There was a race to bottom for game engines. Unity came out, was free. Unreal went free. You now have people who do not have any programming experience are able to make games. Before, you, I guess Game Maker can be thrown in there too. Before, you had to be either a programmer or know a programmer or have a team of programmers write a game engine for you that knew what they were doing, understood physics, understood art, like understood animation, all that stuff. Uh, and now you don't need that. Now you have unity. They just do it all for you. And I, it's really taken for granted how awesome these engines are and what you get for essentially nothing. Uh, and so with the asset stores, I mean, you can create a game with flipped assets for probably a thousand bucks or less, which is nothing for a game budget and then your own time. So all these like indie studios, even like, like look at Stardew Valley, that guy sunk five, six years of his life. And now, you know, now he's a millionaire, but at the time he was doing that all in his spare time, worked his ass off and you know, didn't have any money really coming in from that for five years, six years. So any, it's not sustainable. Like he says, is this sustainable? It's not sustainable. You have to have a major hit like Stardew Valley or Hollow Knight 
or one of these other, I mean, Hollow Knight might even be an outlier. They, they that art style is pretty unique. They probably had like a team and some money behind it. But in like Canada, there are a lot of uh, grants and things you can get. So if you have like a little bit of seed money that everyone puts in, you can kind of get the government to match, which helps uh, indie studios make games. But even then, you're not guaranteed to make money on those. It comes down to like these guys were saying, marketing and which is becoming harder and harder because there's more social media places. There's more, you know, people trying to vie for the eyeballs and everything like that. And it's just really hard. And these steam sales and half of the time with marketing, you're basically paying for a PR firm that is in my experience, just kind of blanket emailing. You're paying for their connections. Basically it's, it's, Mm -hmm. it's very little else. Yeah. That's what they have. They have the connections of the journalists, but even then, the journalists now, like, I mean, we're hunting for news and it's really just like, it seems like all the journalists are only taking like the big headlines. You don't really hear about some shitty little indie game that was just released that some journalist just like on a whim decided to grab off of Steam and try and write about. Like that never happens. You need some nobody on some nobody website to pick up a game that like one of the big journalists just like happens to follow. And like they, those people start raving about the games. Like I kind of a tangent, but also kind of not a tangent. I read this book by this guy called Ryan holiday. It's about marketing. And he said, the key to marketing is not to target those big guys. It's target the small guys and let it filter up. Cause all the big guys, they just get all their information from the small guys and the small guys get their information from the smaller guys. And so you just start at the bottom and you just kind of feed information at the lowest level and let it filter up. And I, I feel like that's how game marketing is going. Like unless you're huge and can pay for those big guys, you might as well just target the little guys. And I don't know if anyone in indie really knows how to do that yet. And I don't even know who those little guys are. I think I read the same book you're talking about. And I I think, you know, his whole thing too, was that if you target the little guys, they'll take whatever you give them because they're like grateful for like a free game or whatever. Mm -hmm. And they'll just sing your praises. And it's kind of like a weird way to exploit these system of bloggers and social media people that, that have kind of come up in the last decade. And even that's not a guaranteed thing. I think with Embers, I remember someone from game informer playing it and having it on their top 10 list of the year and like kind of surprised like no one was talking about the game at all and i mean it doesn't really didn't matter anyway (laughs) like like sometimes bigger ones pick it up and it's still just a a drop in a bucket so similar happened with uh citizens of earth i remember on the sidebar i think it was for like a bunch of the platforms it was in like the top you know most excited for games list that they used to have on the top on the sidebar for you know until we released and then it kind of didn't go anywhere probably because the reviews were so bad but uh you know like that doesn't necessarily equate to you know interest by people or even getting them to play it yeah nowadays at the very minimum you have to have an amazing art style there's like you can't even open the door without an art style that's going to draw attention immediately as far as i'm concerned Yeah. Also, I think that book was called Trust Me, I'm Lying, if anyone is interested. And uh, in terms of being profitable, like they're not, they they can't be. Like I I, I would say that the percentage of games that are profitable is probably like 1%, 2%. Uh, Like you're you're talking about 10,000 games a year. 
there's no way they're all profitable. Yeah, I'd say the the reason or how most or the goal of most indie studios is to sustain a living for the the founder like the founders or whoever's like part of the the core part of the company and you're using government grants and other funding to try to hopefully put something out there that does well like you're still passionate about what you're making but it's kind of a a living as much as it is a passion and you know it's i've talked to lots of indie developers that you know they've made lots of games and it's just about like the passion and sustaining that like i get to do this and you're not kind of beholden to anyone else you're kind of dictating what you're working on I mean, you have to take some jobs here and there to build equity and, uh, you know, fund your own stuff. But that's kind of what it has to be about. You have to kind of see like major success as a bonus almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like and then- a, lot, a lot of them do contract work and just support work for other bigger studios, right? Mm-hmm. And then even when you, you got to also take, consoles into account which is like basically what i pivoted my business to do is that you basically have a smaller user not a smaller user base but a smaller pool of games so your chances of getting noticed are higher if you go to consoles like the switch kind of got blown out now but when the switch first came out there was like no content so it was like a mad rush to get everything on the switch because everyone was getting it and there weren't many games so everyone's like, let's put it on the Switch so that we get... Because every, every game that was like on the Switch was getting tons of sales because there was like nothing for people to buy. And it's kind of why there's sometimes a mad rush when new consoles first come out because the storefront is kind of vacant. Uh, it, and it's kind of changing now, especially with like Game Pass and this like cross-generational thing that's kind of going on where games are everywhere. But I think there's still... Uh, this like thing you need to weigh. Like, do I want to waste? Do not waste. Do I want to spend money to put it on consoles, or w- spend my time? I guess if you do it yourself, and hope that you get a bump in sales from having it on not Steam, where people will actually see it. Uh, so there is like another interesting kind of like marketing decision you need to make. Do you target specific platforms? Do you go to GOG? Do you go to Epic Store? Do you try to get on these, um, you know, these platform holders essentially that have maybe less games coming through the door, so people are more likely to see your game? Uh, and yeah, there's just a lot of a lot of things to take into account when you're trying to market your game. But just lowering lowering your cost is not a guarantee for success. I watched some uh, videos by Microsoft, which I can't actually talk about because uh, NDA reasons, but. They have fa- they have done research on like sort of like not optimal but things trends they've found in their sales um, way the way to discount your game and there is like a strategy that seems to work kind of better but it's obviously not guaranteed and even if you follow that strategy if no one is interested in your game uh, mostly because of the art style like you guys were saying uh, no one will buy it just because it's cheap. There's tons of games on Steam that are 99 cents that no one buys. And we haven't even big... factored in free to play in this whole thing. Like I feel like yeah. mm-hmm. younger kids are 
a lot of them just play free to play stuff like or Minecraft, which is Minecraft free to play now? No, right? It's still like twenty bucks, but you can kind of play it forever once you get it. But uh, the education edition is free. I feel like that's becoming a bigger and bigger thing. Yeah, and I just I think the one uh, window that's open right now is VR games because there's there's still. I think room you can get noticed in that space because it's just not overpopulated yet, but that could change very quickly. Yeah. VR is still a challenging platform to not make people sick on. So yeah, it's tough to do as a, as an indie developer, there's a Mm -hmm. lot of challenges there. So, Mm -hmm. okay. Well, uh, Come on, Frank, let's go. Come on. You're wasting our time here. We're done. The junk mail is over. Let's get to what we played. This is not going to be the shortest episode of Game Junk ever. (laughs) I don't think, anyway. Uh, (laughs) What do you guys played? Well, uh, speaking of VR, I can just quickly mention, I played the demo of this game, Fract, which is coming to PSVR, I think, later this month. But there's a demo out right now. And speaking of motion sickness, uh, yeah, I got motion sick from this game. <laughs> so it's kind of like a, uh, I guess it's sort of like a spy action game, I guess I would say. And there's, you kind of, uh, there was two levels I played. One of them, you're skiing. And I think there's like, it's not just one level. I think that's one of the mechanics in the game is that you ski and like shoot at enemies and stuff. And that one I found, like, that's the one that really made me motion sick. Like, it's weird because you have to tilt your head left or right to turn as you're skiing. And I just found, like, you know, I'm getting a little bit nauseous as I'm playing. And then when I have to tilt my head to turn and I'm going faster, like, that just did not help. So uh, I didn't really like that part of it. And it actually was kind of, I found it hard to like you basically you hit one thing and you're dead and you got to restart from a checkpoint like five minutes back which was annoying but the second part i actually kind of liked and it was more just you're on foot you have a gun you take cover behind things and you sort of like hold cover with one of your hands and then you can pull kind of pull up if you want to duck under it and pull up pull down if you want to pop up and shoot and they have some climbing elements that kind of reminded me of uh, the climb on Oculus. So that's kind of cool because I've liked the climb, what I've played of it. But, you know, it feels like it's missing something, you know, like it's a cool experience, but it's not like adding a gun to it helps <laughs> basically. So uh, so I, I think it has potential. But, uh, yeah, the motion sickness thing, I'm not sure about the dialogue and stuff was kind of bad, but I couldn't tell if that was on purpose. Like it seemed like they were going for like almost like Duke Nukem style one-liners and stuff. So I don't know if that's on purpose, but, and the art style was kind of sort of cell shaded comic booky a little bit. Um, but I, I liked the look of it. So, uh, I, and I think it's a Sony exclusive. I could be wrong, but they're, they seem to be pushing it. I think it is from what I can see here. Yeah, so I mean, I, I might check it out, but definitely we'll kind of wait and see what reviews are like and that kind of stuff. So, I've only been playing Skyward Sword. 
I am almost done. I was on the last boss before we started, and it's taking forever. And the last boss, it's like a two, three, four phase thing with it's all the motion control stuff. It's not great. Uh, other than those fights, like the is it Girahame? Is that the name of the something like that? I don't I think so. Uh, those fights I dislike. Everything about the game, other than that, I really enjoy. It definitely has scratched that itch that I had for a classic Zelda game, and I have my had my typical Zelda frustrations here and there, solving puzzles where I'm like, I feel like I did this, and then eventually it works. You do it the right way. But overall, I still love the art style. It's long. It's a lot longer than I thought it would be. So uh, I did everything. I got every heart piece. I did all the gratitude crystal missions. I've done it all. For the first time ever in a Zelda game, I've never done all of that stuff before. So I was in the mood and digging it, and uh, I still would probably give it like a 4.25 out of 5, something like that, maybe a 4.5. But the the motion control stuff does suck. But again, I'm at a point where I'm a little used to it now. Uh, I still feel like it's clunky. The Mostly the feedback from enemies. Like they snap to a position where if you frantically do stuff, the only way to be successful is to be really methodical. And it's kind of boring, but then you can't be too methodical on the bosses so it's like teaching me different ways to play the game. And I, I feel like it does not do a good job of teaching the motion controls. Like the intuitive enemies, like the the flowers that open up in one direction, that stuff works really well. But some of the other stuff, it's it's a little frustrating. But yeah, it's a, it's a fun game. I'm glad I stuck with it. Yeah, I'm still playing it. I'm like 20 hours in, probably about halfway. It does feel... Too, little too long to me so far like it like i'm finding like pacing wise you get somewhere you think you're about to start something and then it's like oh before you can do that you got to go do these other three things and you're like oh okay i'll go do that and then you finish that and it's like oh but before you do that there's this key you need and it just kind of like the way they do that seems frustrating to me like i know that's kind of game design in a way like you tee up what is coming next but you kind of put some hurdles in their way. But it, it, I guess just maybe because it's so much time between the main temples or dungeons, that's the problem for me because I'm like always waiting to get to those. Um, but there's definitely some good stuff in there. Uh, and I mean, I'm, I'm still playing it, so I'm going to keep going. But I do have to say, stuff. if I couldn't skip dialogue stuff, and I mm-hmm. think that was a new thing, like could be a bit of a struggle <laughs> yeah that's huge uh the only thing i've been playing is the final fantasy one pixel remaster that came out on steam and i'm surprisingly enjoying it more than i thought uh just the stuff they've added kind of like the quality of life things i also miss games that are just i think i this like fantasy star also scratched this itch where i just like being able to play a mindless game where you're just kind of like button mashing. It's almost like a clicker game, one of those like cookie cook clicker games or whatever you call them. And, you know, you're literally just, you walk around, you get in some battles, and at the end, you gain some experience and you get some gold and you can go buy some new stuff. Like, it's so mindless. I don't have to like worry that 
some enemy is like attacking in a specific way and I have to like guard and press all these buttons and like action-y stuff, I just literally hit the fast forward button, everyone attacks and <laughs> at the end I look to see if I have enough health to fight again and if I don't I heal and if I if I do I just keep going and it's it's just nice and mindless and I can like watch other stuff at the same time but I love that kind of stuff sometimes. <laughs> and but the quality of life stuff, they added a better map, I think. They added um maps and dungeons which make it really easy to literally see where you have to go you don't have to spend your time kind of searching all these corners and things uh the speed up button on the fighting i believe just the inventory in general is greatly improved i don't remember exactly how the first fall fantasy was but i'm sure it didn't have like comparison of your equipment while in a shop which they now have which is kind of from later uh final fantasy games so that just like that quality of life stuff, super easy. Um, the only thing I still wish they had was maybe um, some sort of log that sort of told you sort of like kind of how, how what you've done and kind of what you need to do next. That'd be kind of nice. Like that's kind of a problem with RPGs. If you put it down for you know a couple days, you come back, you kind of forget what you're doing. The good thing is that it's all fairly linear. Like even when you have to, when you don't know where to go you kind of just wander around. There's really only one place to go. So it kind of just automatically guides you to the next place, at least so far. And yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm enjoying it. I, I bought the second and third one as well. So I'm looking forward to trying those out as well. I don't think I've ever played uh, those before. So I, I think there was some controversy over these. I don't totally understand it. Like I'm just reading now and it said that they were getting review bombed on steam, but apparently it's because people just want them on console or something. Mm -hmm. But there was something else I was reading about when they were first announced where people are very like picky about what their pixel art should look like. I don't totally understand. Like it's something to do with because the original games were built in a way that worked with CRT TVs. Like they were um, created in a certain way that now if you kind of just put them on a flat screen, they don't quite work. And I think they're trying, like, I, I think they reworked some of that stuff for that reason, if I'm not mistaken. And people were kind of like mad about that. I have not heard any of that. The only thing I heard about, not related to these games, but kind of when they originally remastered, I think it was Final Fantasy IV for mobile. And they made all the sprites like really almost like pastel y colors and not really true to the original art design. And then I know they basically like rolled that back. I think they did it for Chrono Trigger as well when they put it on mobile. And then they had to like roll it back to the original pixel art because people hated it so much. Yeah. But I've I haven't seen, heard any. any I've seen some stuff, stuff here too about the font that people don't like the font change or something. Like they had to make it more readable, but people wanted the original font. I. I... Why would you want the original font? It was like 8 bit super blocky i don't know i don't know i I, i'm not picky about that stuff i just kind of am playing it for what it is and i'm enjoying it so i'm curious to play it just because of the legacy of final fantasy like when you're saying a nice simple game it's kind of i'm more motivated to play those types of games when it's like a a history lesson for back for lack of a better term so Mm. after really getting into seven and the seven remake i i am curious i did buy the first one and i might yeah. Start. Oh, I also think they did a balance pass because I recall like really having to grind 
outside of that first town just to be able to survive the first kind of boss. And I did that a little bit, really just to gain up enough money to buy the best equipment. But the boss went down really easily. So obviously I didn't have to grind. And even the enemies were not really a big challenge. I recall like basically if you walked more than, you know, three blocks from the town in the original Final Fantasy when you first got out, like you were risking death because you were going to die really quickly. Uh, so I think they did a nice bouncing pass so far. I haven't run into any difficulty spikes uh, like I recall from the original. So that's another thing they've done, I believe. Overall, I'm, I'm happy with it. I like it a lot. So and I'm, I'm keep going back to it. You know, I'm not, I, uh, I, I don't know how much I put in maybe three, four hours so far, but I'm really enjoying it so far. It's good. Cool. Uh, I have one other thing to mention. Just kind of, you know, last week we talked about that Storyteller game mm-hmm. that was at the Annapurna Showcase. They actually put out a demo on Steam, or maybe it was already there. I'm not sure. But I noticed it was there, and I was like, I am kind of curious how this game works. So I downloaded the demo, tried it out, and it's interesting. <laughs> I mean, it's like, <laughs> it's very simple like to look at. Like, you get basically each level is you get a title that kind of describes what the story you're trying to tell, right? Like, uh, you know, um, I forget what it would be. Something like, you know, two people commit suicide, something like Wasn't that. Like it would Romeo be phrased a bit differently. The... Yeah. Something like that. And then, so you have like characters and you have sort of scenes that you can drag and drop into these squares and you might have like three or four squares to tell the story. I think I got up to like eight squares uh, which got a little more complex, but like the weird thing is it's like the, the initial levels are very simple and straightforward. It's like, okay, yes, this should happen. Then this should happen. This should happen done. But then it gets to a point where you're like, you think you've got it and it doesn't work. And it really becomes this weird trial and error of like, okay, I guess I'll just drop a few things in and see what they do. It, Cause some of the scenes work differently depending on what order you do them in. So like one was with poison and the idea was that, um, like in an earlier one, poison is used for like the Romeo and Juliet thing. So somebody drinks it, they kill themselves. But then later, one of them is like you have to, somebody has to kill somebody else. So you have to put down the poison scene and put like the bad guy in so that he puts poison in the guy's food or drink and then kills the other guy. But like, how was I to know that that context can change? Uh, so I assume that continues throughout the game seems kind of obvious i don't know but poison could be used in different ways maybe, maybe i'm just <laughs> maybe i'm just not clicking with this i don't know but like it it, it felt like a lot of just you know trial not logic error. but just trial and error yeah so it's uh you know again interesting idea i really what i'm curious about is when you get to the later levels and it gets really complex like how you could kind of sort through that maze of like the order of things. Cause it seems like it needs to be a very specific way. But then uh, I think some of the levels, they, they give you additional stories to tell within that level. So you have to kind of tweak it a bit. Um, I don't know. Anyway, I like the look of it and the presentation and stuff. It was pretty cool, but um, definitely unique. Not totally sure it works, but <laughs> um I don't know. Check it out if you're curious, I guess. All right. Nothing else for me. 
Sean, is that it for you? That's it for me. Excellent. All right. Well, thanks for listening or watching on youtube.com forward slash game junk. And like Sean said, send us an email if you have junk mail and we'll save it up for another episode. Game junk podcast at gmail.com. Is that correct? Yep. Nice. On Twitter, you got Sean at film junk, Andrew at my angry commute and equilibrium sis. Not quite sure what's going to happen the next couple of weeks. I may be away for both of the next two shows, but uh, stay tuned. We some all or none of us may be present in the next few weeks. So uh, <laughs> we'll see what we can do. We'll come up with something. We'll save up some news and what we played for a few weeks from now, at the very least. All right. Thanks for listening. Bye bye.